Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We can't be in the same room. But a podcast can't be stopped The cinemas are empty The industry is fucked But we won't log off We're not going out We're staying at home And when we watch films We watch them along We sit in our pants Stick on something crap And then we hit Skype For a little chat Little chat Little chat Little chat Welcome to another episode of Film Chat, everybody Lockdown Film Chat Bearing, uh more and more resemblance to pre-lockdown film chat. I think the d- distinctions are melting away. Yeah, um, it's the new normal. We're just evolving to just cope with this new this new reality we find ourselves in. I'd say the biggest single lifestyle change I've made uh, since the advent of coronavirus is altering which jingles get used for which segments on this podcast. My life is otherwise pretty much the same as it was. <laughs> you know, we all have to adapt in our separate ways. You know, everyone's got different lives. Some people have to like think about how they're going to feed their kids. Some people have to switch out the jingles. You know, your struggle yeah, is exactly. just as it's just as exactly. valid. Yeah, and uh, and how are you, Danny? How are, how are things with you? I am well. Lockdown update. Lockdown update. I'm well. I'm just you know bored. I think I've said this before, but if you don't have any actual problems, you know, if you if you don't have young kids or relatives who are unwell or whatever and financially you're sort of okay you can pay the rent then it's just a weird sort of purgatory state you're in where you know just life seems to be time is passing but everything seems the same Mm. i would definitely say that the 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 weird feeling of the passage of time changing is um one of the strongest and oddest sensations to come out of uh out of 2020 it's not going to be 2020 for very much longer like we're almost in 2021 which seems very strange to me this is like a fully lost year yeah i mean i've spent the entire year unemployed that probably adds to it (laughs) but um yeah anyway so we actually have some new releases to talk about um this time uh which is going to be fun the film industry is uh churning stuff out even as it's dying (laughs) so um things are still things are still coming out um um, should we should we talk about Aaron Sorkin? Let's do it. Should we get our Sorkin on? Sorkin talking. Um, so, The Trial of the Chicago 7, new film written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. It's his sophomore directorial effort after Molly's Game. And uh, it is a historical legal drama that follows a highly publicized and famous political trial of a group of left-wing um, radical protesters 
who were being um, accused of conspiracy to cause a riot at the 1968 Democratic National Convention uh, where they had gone to protest the Vietnam War. Um, it's been kind of brewing for a long time. Sorkin was initially asked to write a script for this in 2007 by Steven Spielberg and the uh, never really got off the ground uh, at that time and then finally it's made its way to the screen being helmed by the man himself and uh, has obvious contemporary resonances that were not intended by the filmmakers because they couldn't have foreseen them most particularly in its uh, depictions of um, police beating protesters um, being highly redolent of the summer of Black Lives Matter protests um, it's got a hugely famous cast. It's one of those, oh, it's that guy films where every single person pops up and they're familiar. Uh, notably, Sasha Baron Cohen, who plays Abby Hoffman, one of the uh, most notorious kind of figures on the left, uh, defending himself at the trial. A uh, highly kind of theatrical character who uh, attacked the legitimacy of the trial throughout. And that was one of the reasons it became so so well known. Eddie Redmayne is in it as Tom Hayden, who's this kind of like um, also another defendant who's like his counterpart. And it's like this, the, the stuffy one, like the stuffed shirt. It's like more boring, not, not as crazy. Um, various other people. Jerry Strong is in it um, as a as a hippie and Jeremy, Mark Jeremy Strong. You said Jerry, Jeremy Strong. Strong. Jeremy Strong. What did I say? You said Jerry Strong. He's playing Jerry Rubin, right? Jeremy Strong. Yes. He's playing Jerry Rubin, um, a, uh, another member of the youth international party, the yippies along with, um, Abby Hoffman. And, uh, yeah, tons of people, Mark Rylance, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Frank Langella, Michael Keaton. They're all in here. They're all cropping up. And, uh, yeah, a very, a very interesting film. Sorkin is a, kind of an arch liberal you might say sort of emblematic of it i think like a whole cultural tendency and political tendency in the united states uh and like maybe over here as well like the west wing obviously extremely popular amongst a certain set and here tackling subject matter where he depicts the radical left kind of close up and in a kind of sympathetic way since they're the sort of heroes of the film so yeah definitely a fascinating prospect do you have contempt for your government I'll tell you, Mr. Schultz, it's nothing compared to the contempt my government has for me. We've heard testimony from 27 witnesses under oath that say you hoped for a confrontation with the police, that your plans for the convention were designed specifically to draw the police into a confrontation. Well, if I'd known it was going to be the first wish of mine that came true, I would have aimed a lot higher. It's a yes or no question. When you came to Chicago, were you hoping for a confrontation with the police? I'm concerned you have to think about it. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Danny, what did you what did you make of this? I well, I you know I'm a fellow Sorkin skeptic. I think it's better because it's based on true events, which are better than stuff that he can write. So the characters, just by sort of accurately at times just using the transcript from the court documents, uh, it's better than his other stuff because people aren't always making lame quips. Uh, though there is a lot of that in it. And it's also better because there are like barely any women in uh, <laughs> in the movie. And he's just, I think, quite a, just a massive sexist. You watch any of his work, he has like... I, me and um, my girlfriend watched a bit of The West Wing because it's on 4OD. And some of the dialogue is absolutely like astonishing, like how sexist it is. It feels like he's due like a massive reappraisal. It's got like this, you know... He just basically writes his kink, which is just a woman telling him he's a piece of shit, but then telling him he's brilliant. Um, but because there's like only one or two female characters in the movie, he avoids that problem. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just, 
it's like you say, it's like when you have someone who's such a sort of centrist and who's, who's not particularly political. Like, I think his policies is just a general, like, be good if things were good and we all wore suits, uh, seems to be his political beliefs. And so when the gears shift into what was, like, the actual what the actual defendant said to what, like, is being sort of ventriloquized through them, it's just the Sorkin speech is just very, very obvious. And definitely the last 10 minutes of the film are by far the worst. It like just falls off a cliff edge because it just goes straight into Sorkin. The final scene of this movie is absolutely wild. Like, <laughs> it's, it's awful. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's comically bad. And it's just like, I don't know, is it a spoiler? But like, he has Abby Hoffman, this anarcho-communist Jewish guy quoting Lincoln and Jesus. I just don't think a Jewish communist would be quoting those two people, you know, like... And we know that he didn't because we have all the court transcripts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's like some sort of being John Malkovich where every once in a while Aaron Sorkin goes into the mind of Abby Hoffman and just starts speaking through him. And like, It's very weird. I think it's like very like well put together. One of his strengths as a writer is I think he's good at structure and just, you know, scenes move in a way which is almost like it's a bit too breezy given like how like horrendous the police brutality was everything's got this sort of zippy like it's the 60s baby score over like these montages of all this like hideous brutality and it's like i feel like it sort of lessens the impact of it's all just like a jolly romp through time but yeah it was basically i probably like had my review ready before i saw the film and i was like well i don't have to change that that kind of like lived up to my expectations what about yourself yeah i agree i agree with all of that i i, I think it's comfortably the best film that he's written since the social network and definitely one of his better recent scripts. And I think it is because the events that it's depicting are good. And some parts of it, he just draws directly from the court transcripts, which are truly incredible. And after I watched it, my girlfriend and I ended up just pulling up bits of the court transcripts from, from Google just to read it. And we were like pissing ourselves at the stuff that Abby Hoffman says to the judge. He's just incredibly funny. <laughs> um, and it was much better than the script in the film. But some of his material has just been taken and put into the film directly and it's better than Sorkin so that's good and he's just dramatizing an event which is more significant um than a, a woman who becomes like a poker like queen or whatever it's like <laughs> there's no when you watch Molly's game it never explains why you're supposed to care about any of this stuff it's just it's just awful like the whole world in which it's set is kind of sleazy and nasty whereas like in this film it's about real historical people who were like actually heroic and it's depicting them in a way that's sympathetic and if more people learn about this event which I didn't know very much about before Sorkin made a movie about it yeah then, it, then it's a good thing and, it, and as you say it is quite watchable and I think like Sorkin is just a very uh, he's a mainstream uh, filmmaker and kind of always has been I think like he writes like basically the lowest common denominator stuff you know I mean maybe he's a bit like uh, Christopher Nolan in that he's writing dumb stuff that tries to make the audience feel smart you know like yeah yeah it's like a it's like a dessert that makes you trying to convince you you're eating your vegetables or watching it but it's actually just like pure schlock like nonsense entertainment and on that level yeah, you know, they walk in and out of rooms. They do the walk and talk, like that's in this film, but it's the Black Panthers doing it. Like, yeah. <laughs> they, they actually have that. Yeah, so for a lot of the movie, I was kind of enjoying it. And then it has these moments of like extremely intrusive Sorkin ideology that kind of poke through at you. And you're suddenly like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> most egregiously at the end, as you've already, um, as you've already mentioned, where um, Abby Hoffman 
just literally turns into Jed Bartlett. But I but I do think that like there is something that is very interesting about that, I think, about the relationship between the Sorkin's liberalism and the left, which I think is this film represents a kind of evolution of in a way. And so as a kind of cultural artifact from today about like the nature of contemporary liberalism, I do think the movie is kind of interesting. The thing that I that I sort of took away from it is the kind of i think it it is part of a trend of a growth in like protest politics amongst uh liberals you know they traditionally a sneer against the left like you're holding your placards and like people at at protests are all like you know they're wearing sort of uh, weird old knitted cardigans and they're they're funny hippies and they're all like old communists and they're handing out their stupid leaflets have a shower you fucking hippies exactly exactly yeah exactly and um uh, but but more recently, uh, there's been like a broader swathe of society protesting uh, in America and in the UK, which, are, you know, they're very culturally similar in that way. Uh, like the Women's March, you know, after Trump got elected and uh, all the People's Vote stuff here. Um, and, you know, marches have, have taken on the uh, uh, demographics of like Latitude Festival. Yeah. And I think this film kind of, like reflects that like sympathy towards that but it's depicting an era where like the people at the protests are all these like counterculture hippies and they're they're countercultural in a way that's a lot more confrontational and radical than anything that you really see in the slightly resurgent radical left today um and most of that stuff has been really sanded off in this movie but like they still have abby hoffman talking about revolution all the time like he's just he's constantly talking like there's this famous um a clip of him in a uh, press conference which they just um used as dialogue in the film where um he is being asked about like this 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 joke he made when um uh they were trying to get a permit to protest in uh, in the park in chicago for the for the national convention and uh you know they had hundreds of thousands of people from all over the country coming and uh, the the city wouldn't grant the permit and uh, in this meeting with the city official um abby hoffman was like oh how about you give me a hundred thousand dollars and i'll call the whole thing off and then he was being asked about this at a press conference um and uh and and he's like what would you have taken a hundred thousand dollars to call everything off i would have taken a hundred thousand dollars as to calling it off (laughs) (laughs) well well how much is it worth to you to call it off call off a million would you have done it for a million revolution yeah What's your price? My life. You know, he was, um, while being a guy who made a joke out of everything, was also completely sincere about wanting there to be a revolution in America. Um, And that is not a way that people on the left talk now. It's certainly not a way that liberals like Aaron Sorkin would talk. But feeling that, like having that connection to that kind of politics or like presenting it in this like sympathetic light, I think is kind of interesting. But it's done in this really ham-fisted way that doesn't, it doesn't seem aware at all of the different, like the political differences between today and then. So the overwhelming impression I got from this film was kind of of total political ignorance. Yeah, yeah. Like he's just like a blank slate, you know. Who's he? It's not that he is hostile to these ideas, but that he hasn't encountered them before. And like, I mean, you already mentioned how Sorkin is weirdly apolitical, and that definitely comes through in this movie. Because the politics is so all over the place. Like, it's totally incoherent. 
and it just seems like he's really really unfamiliar with them and it's like this whole it's not that long ago you know he was alive when this trial happened but it's like a whole strain of like a whole political tendency and all these political ideas that just vanished from life and like didn't leave behind anything um except this vague sense that hippies are sort of lame you know and like that that quality is is um comes through so strongly in this film like there's this funny element to Sorkin where he like idolizes the kind of individual genius who stands up and you know talks down to people and like you know dunks on them like he loves the kind of the big speech and the dunk and stuff and that's the kind of the essence of courtroom drama right like you're in the institution this is like the ultimate everything is so formal and like process and everyone speaks in a certain way and the person who's the best in the courtroom is the guy who can like work the room and like use all of the formalities and stuff and kind of beat the system at its own game and i think like that's the thing that sorkin is he's always like he's always about these great men who kind of like always know the right thing to say or whatever and have like powerful ideas but at the same time he really idolizes like authority and those institutions themselves so it's very very weird to make a film about people who whose entire project when they were on trial was to like tear down the legitimacy of the system that had put them on trial call it out for basically being a complete fraud and show no respect to it whatsoever while at the same time like for Sorkin all of those institutions that they were laughing at are actually wonderful yeah you know and like perfect and the film just depicts both these ideas as though they're not in conflict whatsoever you know they they have Abby Hoffman saying like you know I I think the institutions of our democracy are great but they're currently occupied by some terrible people and it's so strange because they're under a Republican, they're under Nixon at that time, but they were out under a Democratic administration and a Democratic mayor at the Democratic National Convention when they got beaten by police. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so it's not like they're like just Democrats and the Republicans are bad, but that is obviously what Sorkin kind of thinks. Yeah, I think it's definitely that thing of like, America's great, but every once in a while there's like there's these bad apples. And it's like at yeah. the beginning, the, like yeah. Jason Gordon-Levitt, is you know the prosecutor but he's kind of depicted as this like nice guy who just has to do his job but is actually sympathetic towards the the defendants and then there's like he's a fascinating character in this movie just an absolutely bizarre decision by Sorkin to write his character that way like there's no historical basis for that that him being some sort of good egg yeah exactly and then like it's almost at the beginning it's like come into my office and like he has a meeting with Satan basically he's like you must prosecute these people and then like the judge he was like comically like senile and like terrible if we just got rid of the judge, it'd be fine. When really, you know, that's, yeah. that's beside the point. It's obviously the institution is the problem. Uh, yeah. But they try and yeah, negate exactly. that all. Yeah. That's another interesting like aspect of how Sorkin has made this movie is that he's, he's like dramatized this trial, which is famous for being farcical. Like it wasn't only farcical because like it was a strategy employed by the defendants to kind of call out how they were being mm. um, stitched up, like politically arraigned. But... Um, but also it was farcical because they had the most ludicrous evil judge of all time. Like a comically like overwrought, ridiculous judge. Who and it does come across in this movie that he is basically senile and vindictive and racist. Um but it is toned down because I think depicting the trial as it actually was doesn't fit Sorkin's style, you know, which is all like declamatory 
uh like full sentences from like eloquent people like you know saying things how they were it's not like a complete circus like which is how um it actually played out so apparently the 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 judge in real life had this also this ridiculous voice this kind of squeaky voice and i watched this um a kind of animated docudrama thing about the same trial called chicago 10 which you can find um i think we watched it on amazon prime and um and in that the voice of the judge he's he's got this kind of like hans moleman style like yeah he talks like <laughs> this mm. <laughs> and uh uh and apparently that's more true to life like how the guy actually was like and instead frank langella is you know he's a cool sounding guy like uh it doesn't sound doesn't sound like a joke and like also in like the actual trial basically abby hoffman was constantly calling the judge a nazi and there's this like (laughs) there's this interesting element of like they're both hoffman like the judge and abby hoffman they're both called hoffman and there was a lot of like just Abby Hoffman basically calling him like a Jewish traitor, you know, like saying yeah, yeah. That he was like a you know concentration camp card or whatever. And like the movie is like no, like isms are completely absent from the movie. So like in in the actual court transcripts, like they're calling the judge a fascist all the time, and that is there's no that language doesn't appear in the film at all. Like no one talks about capitalism, no one talks about communism or socialism. Like they're just not. Yeah, yeah. They're just like not present. It's like um, Trumbo, where he's like, he's not a communist. He's just a guy who likes free speech or something. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. They 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 dealt with uh, communism in Trumbo by having him explain that it's like when two children share a sandwich with each other or something. Uh, And then other than that, they don't they don't confront it. But yeah. Um, But it's like, you know, I can understand Sorkin's reluctance to identify the like radical politics of you know his defendants in such explicit terms like you know using words like socialism or communism but it's funny he won't even say fascist like yeah, yeah. He doesn't even have them do that like like that's too i don't know like that's laying it on too strong or whatever but anyway yeah like the whole way that bobby seal is uh is and like, the black panthers are treated and depicted in the film is just like another thing where sorkin is doing his best like he's like, i don't Lesson. understand this but i've got to you know make them look good it's like you can't show them as they actually were because that won't like i don't know it's just a another another sort of revealing thing about his like outlook like this whole movie is like in you can completely see why certain people believe this was the perfect project for aaron sorkin it's a big courtroom drama like you know there's huge fireworks and everything um but it, it's also the completely the wrong one for him as well. so it shows <laughs> off his his strengths and limitations like equally well yeah i think sort of you know it's kind of an interesting entry point into the, like i just maybe want to go on wikipedia and research it all really for sure i mean that's exactly what i that's, it made me do that yeah and i think if you do watch this if you want to see a better film about chicago 7 i would highly recommend watching punishment park it's on youtube which is this cool docudrama made by an English filmmaker called Peter Watkins, uh, who was genuinely like a left radical. So the politics are preserved and it doesn't pull its punches in the same way. And it's a very zippily put together, like 85 minutes. And I would very much recommend oh. Chicago 10. <laughs> and, the, I... Uh, the, the, and I have my own recommendation. Yeah, Chicago 10, the... Uh kind of animated documentary it's a lot of it is just drawn directly from court transcripts and they have a lot of um um archive footage and uh yeah that stuff is really good so a recommendation for two films we didn't actually review there (laughs) no i think i i think i know i i think people should watch this movie honestly 
especially if you don't know anything about the events or like that period because it's a it's an entertaining watch and uh it does encourage it does make you want to you know look more into it and um and it's also that fun little insight into the the kind of current state of american liberal thinking but it's not a good film like <laughs> and especially the end where they all like stand up and applaud the troops or whatever it's just like was just you know was awful but also funny so yeah hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask-cunchingly poor? How did Danny form the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. The other big Sacha Baron Cohen release was the Borat 2 sequel, Borat's subsequent movie film, which dropped on Amazon Prime uh, to make sure we could all see it, to remind us to vote. It's definitely a bit more politically motivated than the previous film. Uh, it's a pretty loose plot, but basically, following the events of the first Borat film, Borat has become... Uh, was has let down the glorious nation of Kazakhstan, so has been in a labour camp for 14 years, but then has charged... By the government to deliver a present to Mike Pence so that they Kazakhstan can cozy up to America. Like one of the weird things about the Borat thing is that, like it's very punching down with the Kazakhstan stuff. Seems to have picked Kazakhstan randomly from a map and has decided that I will depict it as the sort of like backwards village full of anti-Semites and rapists. Not really, I feel people don't discuss that as much as like him like slaying the sacred cows of like American Republicans. But anyway, so he's charged of like delivering uh, their prized possessed which is this monkey and it's because they're the backwards stupid people um to sort of encourage america to like make a deal with kazakhstan because they love trump and they want to be in the inner circle of putin and that but through various plot machinations uh he ends up the new plan is to deliver his daughter tutor played by newcomer maria bakalova which is she's the best thing in the movie by far and basically the movie i mean one of the interesting things about the movie is obviously sort of like some, somewhat improvised both scene to scene and in a structure so the plan is for him to deliver her to Mike Pence but that sort of is resolved fairly on in the film and then it has to sort of invent new wacky things to happen culminating in the scene of her meeting Rudy Giuliani which has got a lot of press attention uh, here's a clip of Borat doing his thing I was instructed not to give the gift to Trump since some previous mission I had accidentally made shit in front of his house. Dar este un creștin devotat. Trebuie să ajungi la unul dintre apropiații lui. Michael Pence. The vice premier was known to be such a pussyhound that he could not be left alone in a room with a woman. Johnny the monkey. Johnny the monkey. Kazakhstan's Minister of Culture and number one porno star. So my sort of hot Twitter take is that this sort of mode of humour is somewhat redundant and a little bit old-fashioned. And now that Donald Trump's the president, it seems a bit like 
Sure. I mean, like, all these Republicans are weird and racist, you know? I mean, the presence of weird racists, so whatever. Uh, but he is better than at doing that type of humour more so than his peers, just because he's a bit ballsier and he's just willing to, like, push it a bit further. And there's something a bit, like... Um, it's a bit like the West Wing cast of the reunion. It's like Sasha Baron Cohen is, like, so shocked by Trump. He's so awful. I, I gotta, I gotta bring back Borat. Borat's the man to like really, you know, do this or whatever. But it's just a bit. I found it a bit lame, and I found like the fact that it ends up with Rudy Giuliani is just like if he'd like met Trump, okay, that would have been something, you know. But it's just like one of his many weird shadowy underlings. It's like, eh. Uh, but the uh, Maria Bakalova is excellent in it because she's doing less a sort of. It's a harder job. I feel like Borat half the thing is just the moustache and the accent. Like, it's not the most nuanced character in the world. Whereas she's, like, because she just is a normal person, doesn't have any, like, props or, like, ridiculous things about her. It's just more impressive, her sort of comedic character she created. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm a bit sort of suspicious about the, like, how do you satirize? No one's kind of figured out how to satirize the present. The present has outstripped satire so much. And, like, resorting to something that was, like, a hit 14 years ago to, like, do it in a more politically focused way... I think is just inherently limited. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's a bit like the things that you used to, you previously had to do this elaborate comedic stunt to get people to say on uh, on a recording, they just now do that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. They proudly do that. It's just, I, I guess having this kind of comedy footage of someone saying something scandalous, that, yeah, when you have Trump who would just do that at press conferences. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't, it's like... <laughs> yeah, and, and also I think it's a thing of like, how much of is Borat a, a satirical character I think has been put on like after the fact. The first Borat movie was just like a really funny film and every once in a while he'd like, because he's so anti-Semitic, somebody would reveal their anti-Semitism. But oftentimes people would be like just weirded out and... I think like half of the people he sort of like has in the movie are people who are just sort of too polite and just a bit shocked to say anything at the time. But it doesn't mean they're, they're sort of condemned by their silence. But like this is weird guy of a camera crew turned up and was like said something really shocking and racist. I'm not sure you'd say anything to the guy in case he like flips out or whatever. You just wait for him to leave your shop and then maybe call the cops. I don't know. Like yeah, for sure. I mean, part of it, part of it is uh, the humor comes from. Um, how much will like social oddness will normal people tolerate? Yeah, but like, you know? yeah, exactly. And like the first Borat movie, there's like a few moments of like, you know, you meet some anti Semites, whatever. But the purpose of the film is just to have like shocking big belly laughs in it. And now like it's kind of flipped. Like the purpose is to like is it, like political to like skewer these people. But it's almost like I think that's to the movie's detriment because it sets up a sort of a target that doesn't quite hit. That makes sense. It wouldn't. It is not a natural kind of tool for the job, is it? If you were writing a satire about contemporary American politics, you, you wouldn't be like, I think it should be about a uh, a man set up as a caricature of a Kazakhstan or like Eastern European primitive. Yeah, you know, I think that this is really the character that's going to expose America for what it really is. Like that just does not make very much sense at all. So yeah, it does seem like an odd um, uh, vehicle for that like political project. And it's true that there is certainly some ironic, not ironic, like, racism in Borat, isn't there? Yeah. Reminds me a bit of, um, you know, Team America World Police, where they have um, 
they have like the sort of middle eastern characters and he's just talk- like the language you know he's doing arabic whatever but he just says durka durka yeah and it's like is the joke here that this is what americans think people from the middle east are like or is it the joke is it just funny because a brown person is saying jihad you know yeah um a bit of that like yeah i don't know so it's it's fine like there's enough laughs in it that it's funny but i just i just don't think it quite it feels it feels a bit like you know a bit past it i would say when Ralph heard something that changed his life what he listened to when john cusack made a mistake for his future wife what did she listen to and when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? Filcher. When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Filcher. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, this is fun. Well, this is um, fun. Well, let's cut an hour. Let's <laughs> this, kill this some time. No, this is lovely. Um, so what... Uh, uh, what's coming up? Do we have anything anything to look forward to in our lives? Well, the big the big release is Mank, the comically titled Mank, the David Fincher film about the making of Citizen Kane and Joseph L. Mankiewicz, which has got lots of rave reviews. They're starting to... I think the embargo was lifted recently, and everyone's like, it's a technical mastery... It's very good. Had an interesting, had an interesting trailer. I, I didn't. I wasn't expecting it to be this such a pastiche. Yeah. Which is it's kind of this film like about the period and a pastiche of films from the period, which is yeah, yeah. interesting approach. Uh, but you know, he's always he's always one to watch David Fincher, so that would be good to watch. Probably is that is that that's a that's coming out on Netflix, right? That's on Netflix. Thank God these auteurs made these deals. Oh, we'd have to fucking you know just not watch these films. I think the Irishman had come out a year later. Like it just would have seemed like visionary to you. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. To, to use that this uh, medium. Um. Yeah. So yeah, we'll watch that. We'll watch something else. Whatever. Sounds good, man. All right. All right, dude. Thank you for listening to Film Chat once again. We'll be back next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> talking about these women. Yeah? We can't get over these women. And you see, James, she's like a 50s movie star. So capable, so loving and energetic. Look at Manny over there. Going punch for punch with Toby in a world that tells women to sit down and shut up. Mandy's already won her battle with the president. The game's over. But she's not done. She wants Toby. This is Lanningham. Did you guys know she lost two sons in Vietnam? What would make her want to serve her country is beyond me. But in 14 years, she's not missed a day's work, not one. There's Kathy, Donna, Margaret. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.